listening to KHOL. This is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. I'm news director Kyle Mackey. Before we get started today, a bittersweet announcement. Our reporter, Will Walkie, is moving on from KHOL after this week. Will has been with the station since the fall of 2020, working very hard to cover everything from local government to the housing crisis and area water quality. K-12 also won its first regional Edward R. Murrow Award earlier this year for a feature story Will reported about efforts to limit the spread of chronic wasting disease among Western Wyoming elk. Beyond his skill as a reporter, Will has been a fantastic coworker to all of us here at the station, and we are really going to miss him. But luckily for those of us who love radio in Wyoming, he's not going too far. Starting in mid-July, Will's taking over as Wyoming Public Radio's Mountain West News Bureau reporter. So if you see Will around town, please join us in congratulating him on this next chapter. This also means that Jackson Unpacked is going to be on a bit of a summer holiday while we work on hiring a new reporter. Starting next week, we'll be sharing episodes of our special limited podcast series with Steo called Facets, Voices of the Mountain Life. Stay tuned, and we'll be back with new episodes of Jackson Unpacked when we can. Now, coming up on today's show, upgrades are sorely needed at several Teton County fire stations. We have to be able to perform all of the time. We can't wait for it to break and then decide it's time to fix it. Plus, New York Times national political correspondent Jonathan Martin makes a stop in Jackson to promote his new book about the last two years of political crisis in America. It's an account of this stress test in American democracy that we've all been living through the last two years and that we're still dealing with today. But first, a quick recap of recent candidate forums featuring 2022 hopefuls for local elected office. The Teton County Library and Wyoming League of Women Voters held three primary election candidate forums during the last two weeks of June. KHOL was proud to be among the media partners presenting the forum, along with the Jackson Hole News and Guide and Buckrail. News Director Kyle Mackey brings us this rundown of the races for the Jackson Town Council and Teton County Board of Commissioners. Both the town and county elections have a crowded field of candidates. Seven people are competing for just two nonpartisan town council seats, and at least another six for three positions on the Board of County Commissioners. That includes incumbents like Jackson Vice Mayor Arn Jorgensen, who's running for re-election to the council. I was born and raised in this community. This is home. Absolutely committed to it. Public services absolutely baked into my soul. Another incumbent, Jonathan Schechter, could not attend the recent forum and had a representative read a statement instead. Jorgensen and Schechter are being challenged by Devin Veeman, Elliot Alston, Catherine Kat Ruckert, Joel Smith, and David Schoen. Veeman narrowly lost a 2020 bid for town council and was particularly strong on housing in the forum. You've got to make it fair. You've got to make the zoning work. You've got to change the LDRs. And you have to have inclusionary zoning. Meanwhile, Alston, who is Black, emphasized that he would bring a fresh perspective to the council and Rukert focused on the need to cut spending. I represent very much the marginalized here in town and the people that we are not speaking about. What it looks like to me is we don't have a revenue problem, we have a spending problem. Smith and Shern did not show up for the forum despite confirming their attendance. In the commissioner's race, two incumbents, Democrats Luther Probst and Mark Newcomb, are running for re-election. 
But the forum's focus was on the Republican primary among four candidates, Alex Muramsev, Peter Long, Casey Matioski, and Tom Segerstrom, three of whom can go on to the general election. While the candidates are largely politically similar and moderate, Long says he's running to be a voice for the working class. You know, my wife and I understand what it's like working multiple jobs, juggling rising costs of health care, child care, uh, seeing that dream of owning a home in Teton County slip further and further out of reach. Muramsev is vice chair of the local GOP and a member of the county planning commission, along with Matiaski. He differed slightly from Siegerstrom, the former executive director of the Teton Conservation District, on the urgency of tackling water quality issues. It's not that we have a water problem. It is a water problem that due to inaction by our current electeds has become a water crisis. While I don't want to take away from the issue, I do disagree with Alex that we are in crisis mode. There are places where where we are in crisis mode, but for the majority of the places in Jackson Hole, this is an emerging issue. For his part, Matioski focused on a common sense approach to government. Overanalyzing everything and quibbling over, you know, what study, this study. That's why we're at. We need to start moving forward. Early voting for Wyoming's 2022 primary elections starts July 1st. The primary election date is Tuesday, August 16th. Kyle Mackey, Cagewell News. Full recordings of the three primary candidate forums, including races for Teton County's State House District 23 and Wyoming Secretary of State, are available on the Teton County Library's YouTube page. Multiple fire stations in Teton County are in disrepair to the extent of needing full replacement. That's according to Jackson Hole Fire EMS, which is now seeking taxpayer support to modernize its infrastructure and meet increasing demand for services. KHOL's Will Walkie reports. You know, as we look here at our station, we're standing outside right now. We can look at our structure, fire engine, engine 31. Andrew Byron is showing me around Firehouse 3 in Hoback. This is our tender, which has 3,000 gallons of water. This is paged out often because if it's a rural fire in Teton County. Byron is a volunteer lieutenant for Jackson Hole Fire EMS. And before we even walk in the door, a major problem for the facility becomes obvious. The rescue truck is, uh, if you drove it straight, you'd plow the building out. So uh, we, we have some major, major size issues um, as, as this county has grown. Inside, vehicles for structure fires, swift water rescues, and wildland blazes are packed into the station like sardines. That means when the station gets a call, Byron says they have to play a game of Tetris just to get the right equipment on scene. We're lucky we don't uh, have more fender benders in here because it is so small. I mean, we're only walking around right now in civilian gear and imagine six or seven firefighters trying to hop on a truck and a call with all their gear on. Uh, It gets tough. So that brings me to our our medic, which is just a... a Hoback is the southernmost fire station in Teton County, and it's entirely volunteer-run. Byron's on call basically 24-7, in addition to his duties as a business owner and father. He's also running for elected office. We're not going to talk about that in this story, but suffice it to say, Byron brings his passion for public service and sacrifice into his volunteer work. One of my biggest structure fire calls was... About four Christmases ago, we were just sitting down, and, and it was called in. Uh, it was south of Wilson. I started Christmas Eve dinner. 
and uh, that was about probably seven or eight at night. Went on the call and I walked back in and wrapped a few presents at 6 a.m. before family started waking up and uh, that was my Christmas Eve. Um, and, and that's a pretty common story in a lot of firefighters. Making the job even harder, Byron says the station is struggling to recruit new volunteers because of the rising cost of housing in Teton County. Not many people have the time to serve when they're also working multiple jobs just to afford to live here. You're now staring at a, a wall of lockers. Um, the, the lockers, you can see there's a lot of empty ones. As a result, one out of three calls dispatched to the Hoback Fire Station over the past 18 months have not gotten a local response, according to the Hoback Volunteer Firefighters Association. That means other stations are picking up the slack and driving 30 minutes plus in what could be an emergency situation. Meanwhile, some parts of the building just aren't up to par with federal safety measures. For example, there's not a dryer in the facility or gendered bathrooms. The gear lockers are also right next to the exhaust pipes of the trucks. So when I start this fire engine, diesel particulates come out and end up all over my gear. Uh, my locker's actually right down here. So when this starts and you pull out, essentially that dusts all my gear. Firefighters are more likely to get a cancer diagnosis and to die from cancer than the general population, and carcinogens are a major reason for that. The Hoback Fire Station has already been identified at least twice in the past 30 years as being in need of replacement, once in 1993 and again in 2012. Brady Hansen is fire chief of Jackson Hole Fire EMS. Will it be functioning tomorrow? Probably. Will it be functioning the next day? Every day that we keep going, the more vulnerable our scenario is. Uh, our concern is when we do get that 50-year winter storm or even a 20-year winter storm or we get uh, just an earthquake, will the doors go up? That's why this year, Jackson Hole Fire EMS is asking for $11 million in specific purpose excise tax, or SPET funding, to replace the stations in both Hoback and Wilson, which is facing similar problems. Hansen says volunteer-run stations, which take in smaller call volumes but serve large areas, are critical local infrastructure. So with those key, key emergency services, when you're talking about your fire protection or ambulance service, or expand that to law enforcement, we have to be able to perform all of the time. We can't wait for it to break and then decide it's time to fix it. As of early June, the Hoback station had responded to about 30 incidents this year. But Byron says he's expecting increased demand with the growth of recreational use and residents in his region. Indeed, the entire Jackson Hole Fire EMS system has seen a 50% increase in call volume just in the past five years. Yeah, the sky's not falling, but um, I would say we're at a situation, a breaking point, where unfortunately we're one event that we miss away from having you know, some, some major complications and, and, and some major results that we don't want to see. Moving forward, the Hoback Volunteer Firefighters Association says they expect to see SPET proposals to improve fire infrastructure throughout Teton County for at least the next five or six election cycles. Firehouse One in downtown Jackson recently reopened following renovations paid for by the taxpayers. Will Walkie, KHOL News. just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL. I'm News Director Kyle Mackey, and this is our weekly podcast featuring reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every Friday on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
Coming up next, K-12 Music and Community Affairs Director Jack Catlin interviews the longtime manager of Jackson's Pink Garter Theater, Dom Gagliardi, as the LLC behind the venue gets ready for its farewell show. Tom Gagliardi has been booking, producing, and curating events in the Tetons for over a decade. Gagliardi first took over the Rose and the Pink Garter Theater in 2010 and has since exposed a rich, diverse, and quality assortment of artistic acts to the community of Jackson Hole. The Garter stage has been graced by artists like Band of Horses, Public Enemy, TV on the Radio, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, and a solo show by Jack White, known for his work with the White Stripes. Now it's time to say goodbye to a vital cultural resource as the Pink Carter is bringing back a group that helped start it all almost exactly 10 years ago. In advance of The Funeral, capital F-U-N, of the Pink Garter featuring Grammy Award-nominated Band of Horses on Tuesday, July 12th, Dom Gagliardi joins us now in the KHOL studios. So you had a long and successful run of bringing some amazing talent to Jackson. How important is it to you to expose different and sometimes unexpected acts to the local community? Uh, I think it's very important. I think that was one of our our main goals with the Pink Carter, particularly when we started uh, having a regular venue that we could book all the time, was to really expand on on things. And that venue opened up to that. Like we could do shows like Public Enemy or you know some some crazy hip hop acts that are in there or or very artistic type of shows and and just really broaden the style of music and events that we could do so everybody could have something they liked. That was a big part of it. Jackson has a, has a tendency to get stuck in its own style, right? You know, or people's impression of what our style is, is that we're in the mountains, we're a lot like Colorado, and there's, you know, lots of, uh, lots of Americana, lots of bluegrass, and, and we did tons of those shows and loved them. You know, we had some amazing, like in, infamous String Dusters shows in there that, that blew, blew the roof off, but we wanted to do a little bit of everything. That was a fun part about it, was having a, a good general mission room that we could do that and just kind of keep the ticket prices where they needed to be for that size of act and just kind of do a little bit of everything. Can you touch on a couple of those maybe special shows and reminisce for a bit about those experiences? When it all comes together and this show that we're about to do is kind of one of those stories when we work on something for a while and can see the vision of like, how does this show going to you know, do something for our town? It was always that way, even back in the Mangy Moose, when we had KRS-One come and play at, uh, at the Mangy Moose. And then he spoke to a bunch of people here at the center. And, uh, and it was amazing. It made, made us all like really connected to, to what he was talking about. And at the Pink Carter, like the Sharon Jones and the Daptings show that you mentioned, you know, those of us who were fans of Sharon knew what, where she was with her health and it wasn't in a good place, but she was such a trooper that she wanted to keep doing shows. And we kept working on them on, is this possible? Is it possible? Can we make it happen? We'll be ready for you if you say go. And she did. And we played the, the, uh, the movie a few days before. She had put out a documentary about um, her struggles with cancer. And we put that movie out. And a bunch of people came and saw that. And then she came and performed. And, uh, and I remember bringing my kids there for sound check when they were real little and they were just sitting up in the balcony and then they got to meet Sharon and it was such an amazing experience. She was like, just so full of life and she only lived for few weeks more. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. So you're calling this upcoming show with band of horses on July 12th, the funeral spelled with a capital F U N. Is this really it Dom? And how did the show come about? Well, yeah, a little explanation on the, on the name. It's fun. You know, it's F U N capital F U N. It's the funeral. 
Uh, the funeral is one of their uh, their most popular songs, and you know the way that we are billing this and presenting it. Uh, the Rose LLC, as I mentioned, is the entity that has been behind all of these shows and and this business for the last ten years since we started. Our entity is has been taking you know a lot of financial risk to put on these concerts for a decade. And when COVID came, we had to readjust our our lease and end up with just running the bar. We couldn't operate the theater. So we decided that uh, that we were going to keep running the bar and we we couldn't do shows because of COVID. And when in the last year, there's been opportunity to go back in there a little bit. We really want to go back in one more time and, and send it off right. So it's a fun play on it. It's that, you know, this is the last show that our entity is going to put on. You know, that's so for us and to celebrate that. I mean, bringing all my partners in, people in the community, our friends, and and having one big send off the way that we started it was to do a big show with a great band that's that's too big to play in our room. So we're doing that again. So uh, so we called it the funeral of uh, the Pink Garter. The show itself is, it's a big band that's playing with the Black Keys on an amphitheater tour, playing in a small room. And so we're excited. We're happy to like bring them off this big tour, bring them in. We're going to set everything up for them so it's nice and easy and just have an amazing night. Jonathan Martin, a national political correspondent for The New York Times, is making a stop in Jackson on Friday, July 1st, as part of a tour promoting his new book, which ponders the future of American democracy. KHOL's Kyle Mackey spoke to Martin about the book by Zoom ahead of his visit to Jackson Hole, and about the importance of a certain Wyoming election this year. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today on KHOL. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to being in Jackson. Let's start with just a summary of your new book. It's called This Will Not Pass, Trump, Biden, and the Battle for America's Future. And this was co-written with your New York Times colleague, Alex Burns. For those of us who haven't gotten our hands on a copy yet, can you give us the elevator pitch? Yeah. So Alex and I have written what is, we think, a really important contribution uh, to this extraordinary moment in American history. It's an inside account of the last two years of political crisis in America through the prism of uh, leaders in both parties, Democrats and Republicans, 2020 and 21, both the campaign, but also the full aftermath of the campaign and President Biden's first year in office. And this is a panoramic uh, account that includes both presidents, uh, a lot of material on Congress and, yes, material from outside of Washington, from governors and mayors. So uh, it's an account of this stress test in American democracy that we've all been living through the last two years and that we're still dealing with today. So you're coming to Wyoming as part of your book tour, and you've also been writing quite a bit about our lone congressional representative, Liz Cheney, who in many ways has become the face of Republican opposition to former President Trump um, and the select committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. So I wonder what you make about this starring role that Representative Cheney is playing in American democracy right now. 
Yeah, it's a, one of the great stories of our time. The, the daughter of a storied conservative figure, Dick Cheney, former president, secretary of defense and congressman who uh, seemed to be following in the footsteps of her dad, climbing the ladder in GOP politics. And then obviously um, has been radicalized uh, by fo- the former president and the former president's uh, attempt to overturn the election. And she is now uh, determined, as she has put it herself, to make sure that Trump never comes within uh, spitting distance of the Oval Office again. I mean, she, she is a woman on a mission now, and frankly, uh, to the detriment of her own ambitions and her own career, potentially. But but she is obviously convinced that uh, Mr. Trump is a threat to American democracy uh, and is determined to stop him from reclaiming the presidency. Yeah, you mentioned there, you know, perhaps at the expense of her career. Of course, she's facing a primary challenge from a Trump endorsed candidate, uh, President Trump. Right. He was just in Wyoming for a rally over Memorial Day yep. weekend. I wonder if you have any predictions about that race or what you'll be watching yeah. for. So this is one of the most consequential primaries of the year is can you survive as a Republican and a full throated Trump critic? in 2022 in a really conservative state, a very pro-Trump state, uh, as Wyoming is. And it's going to tell us a lot about the Republican Party. And frankly, the Republicans who have survived primaries against Trump largely did what Liz Cheney refuses to do, which is bite their tongue and not criticize him, but instead just kind of move on or try to patch up their relationship. Those kind of Republicans have succeeded in primaries, and those who have confronted him forcefully have either decided not to run again or lost their primary. So this is a really important test of can you speak out bluntly and forcefully against Trump and still succeed in a Republican primary in a Trumpy state? Yeah, well, we are definitely watching that race closely here, too, at KHOL. And, of course, as you mentioned in the beginning, it's not just the Republican Party that's facing really deep internal divisions right now. Um, You write about struggles in the Democratic Party. And um, I don't want to ask you to give away all of the conclusions you arrive at in the book. But I do wonder where you feel like this fraught political moment is, is leading us as a country. So I think that the two parties are now largely organized around antipathy toward the other. And that does not lead to a healthy democracy when the sort of two major political parties in America don't have a sort of coherent, assertive, proactive agenda and are largely um, united in their disdain bordering on fear uh, of the opposition. But that's where we are in today's very tribal times. And that's what we capture in this book at great length. Uh, the two parties are pulling further apart. There, there, there's less of a space in the political center, and that has created enormous challenges for Joe Biden, who's a Democrat who's never really wanted to put his foot in either camp in his party. He doesn't want to sort of come out in the moderate camp or the more progressive camp. And I think because of that, it's, he's obviously had challenges in trying to get through his agenda uh, in the last year and a half. And that, you know, combined obviously with the, you know, Afghanistan pullout the devastating uh, rise in inflation uh, obviously put him in a perilous political situation going into the midterm elections. Martin's free book talk will start at 5 p.m. on July 1st at the Teton County Library. You can also hear KHOL's extended conversation with Martin coming soon on our website. 
891khol.org. Now for the weekly news roundup. Here are the headlines you might have missed this past week. The Jackson Hole Airport welcomed back its first customers Tuesday following a 78-day closure for runway reconstruction. The new facilities boast improved security checkpoints, traveler holding areas, and restaurants, and the entire project was on time and on budget. Airport Executive Director Jim Elwood also touted the relationship between his organization and Grand Teton National Park throughout the renovation process. So our focus is to is to really um, embrace the park values of conservation, of protecting the natural resources, and we work hand in hand with them on every single project we take on, and we're attempting to be the best in the world at that environmental consciousness and, and responsibility. The runway reuses old pavement and native soils and also features state-of-the-art lighting and water filtration. I would also thank the staff at the Idaho Falls Airport especially for taking on extra passengers and the Jackson Hole community for its patience. In other airport news, parking is now $17 a day for locals and $25 for out-of-towners in a slight increase, and no shuttles from town have yet been scheduled. A new reproductive health clinic in Casper is vowing to continue fighting for the legal right to abortion in Wyoming following the Supreme Court's Friday ruling overturning Roe v. Wade. The Wellspring Health Access Clinic was set to become Wyoming's first provider of surgical abortions when it opens. That was supposed to happen in mid-June, but the clinic was damaged by suspected arson in May. Now, it likely won't open for another four to six months, according to founder and president Julie Burkhart. And that could be well after Wyoming's so-called trigger ban on nearly all abortions goes into effect. What we are going to continue to do is to get our clinic ready to open. We are going to exhaust all of our options for keeping abortion legal. Specifically, Burkhart is pointing to an article in Wyoming's constitution that protects the right of residents to make their own health care decisions. Meanwhile, the three Republican members of Wyoming's congressional delegation applauded Friday's ruling, arguing that it returns decisions about abortion to their rightful place in state legislatures. Governor Mark Gordon is now expected to certify a review of the Roe v. Wade decision by Wyoming's attorney general within 35 days in order to put the state's abortion ban into effect. Southern Montana made national news earlier this month as floodwaters from Yellowstone National Park damaged infrastructure and stranded neighborhoods. But now, most towns in the region are recovered and ready to take in tourists again. Sarah Andres is vice president of the Gardner Chamber of Commerce and owner of four local businesses. She says her community historically relies on summer and fall visitors and is struggling to earn revenue right now. Nobody's coming to town. I think that they think they cannot get here, but actually Highway 89 is completely open. We have full access from Livingston, Montana. And so at this time, we would just love to have people come and visit us. Andra says a typical slow day at her rafting company for this time of year yields 200 customers. But on Monday, just 11 people showed up. 
Part of the problem is that Gardner is cut off from Yellowstone, and a permanent transportation route is still being planned. Southern parts of Yellowstone are currently open under a license plate-based entry system, and northern reaches, including some temporary transportation routes into Montana, may be opening in the coming months. That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is by the local band, Strumbucket. You can help us spread the word about Jackson Unpacked by leaving a rating and review for the show in Apple Podcasts. I'm Kyle Mackey, and this is KHOL Jackson.